Well, good morning. I'm not going to try to follow those lines up. So, uh, <laughs> but welcome to Orangecrest Community Church. Today we're beginning a message series uh, called Authentic Friends, and so we're going to be in this series for six weeks, looking at different kinds of friendships or relationships. Uh, relationships, which you find out, are are a main part of the greatest delights in life, and at the same time, they can also be the source of the greatest pains in life. And so, for those reasons, uh, we're going to look at this. All of us really want friendships. We all want relationships. So, uh, we're going to look at not just any kind of friendship, but authentic friendships. Um, There's a listening guide inside your bulletin. If you'd like, you can pull that out and we'll be moving back and forth through this. Authentic, the word authentic, it means this. Fully trustworthy because it is actual. It's real. It's not an imitation. It's not a, a fake thing. But authentic means you, you're, you're looking at the real, the real thing, the real deal. A friend is someone who wants good for you. They want the best for you uh, versus an enemy. An enemy is someone who wants to harm you, someone who doesn't want good for you. Um, we probably had enemies in our life. You, know, they, you, you want to stay away from them. Acquaintances, um, you know, they... They may or may not care for you or care about you, really. They could kind of care less. Acquaintances, you know. But friends, friends are people who want good things for you. So an authentic friend, you'll see at the top of your outline, is a trustworthy person or trustworthy people who desire good for me. People who want the best for me. And they're, they're reliable. They're the real thing. So we're going to look at this. Uh, next week we're going to look at a message called uh, Guys Friends, Football and Foxholes. And in that message uh, title, you see there's some clues as to just some things that are important to, to guys and some things that um, there's clues as to how we relate to each other, how we build friendships, footballs and foxholes. So we'll be looking at that next week. A week after that, we're going to be looking at a message um, called uh, Girlfriends Finishing Each Other's Sentences. Typically, that's something guys don't do. Um, uh, week after that, we're going to be looking at more than friends, just um, if you're, if you're dating, there's a point in a romantic relationship when you're asking questions about, is this the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? So we're going to look at that. Um, week after that, we'll be looking at raising friends, um, growing your kids in a way that when they become adults, they'll actually want to relate to you. They'll want to have a, a friendship with you. And then the last week, we're going to be looking at staying friends, how to avoid relationship killers. So wherever you're at in relationships, um, uh, my hope is that uh, you know, some of these things are really hit where you're at right now, maybe where you're heading, maybe where you've been, to reflect on things, to learn some things, and uh, maybe to encourage some people along the way. So we're going to launch into today. Today we're going to focus on desiring your mate. We're looking at marriage, and we're going to explore what the Scriptures say about this whole area of marriage and desiring, delighting in your mate. Before we do that, I want to kind of take you back about 12 years ago. Um, in the fall of 1997, I was 20 years old, and... There, there I am, about to chow down on some food in the cafeteria at the school that I attended. And, uh, you know, I was a real strong young lad in, in those days. And I was attending school at California Baptist University here in Riverside in my, in my junior year, this was, uh, first week of school. And uh, I got there a little early because I was a, one of the leaders in helping orient the new uh, students, the freshmen. And so... I, uh, one day, I loaded onto a bus 
with some friends of mine after an Angels game, a baseball game was over, for a freshman orientation event. And we're loading on the bus, getting back to Riverside to come back to school. And I go and I find a seat in the middle of the, uh, in the, middle of the bus and kind of surrounded by some of my close buddies. And we're talking about, you know, just the school year ahead. And we're talking about some of the, the ladies that we we're interested in um, for this upcoming year. And uh, before long, this cute brunette college girl enters the bus and she starts scanning the bus for where to sit. And uh, she looks around and all that was left was seats in the back with all the freshman guys. And, uh, and she was a sophomore, and she saw me, and we had worked together in uh, the previous year, and she thought that I was safe. And so she came, and she says, I, I sat next to you because you were safe. And so she sat down next to me, and we said hello, and then me and my buddies, we continued our discussion. Except now that there was this girl sitting here, we had to change the, the language a little bit. So we started using baseball terms and talking about girls. And... Uh, <laughs> Pretty soon, that girl caught on to our little game, and she said, don't think I don't know what you guys are talking about. And uh, so anyway, we get moving back to, towards Riverside on the bus. We head down the 91 freeway, and before long, this cute college girl fell asleep and started leaning in my direction with her head on my shoulder. And, uh, and I remember thinking, wow, she's cute. And I remember... This could really work out. Now, she had no idea what I was thinking. It was purely accidental. Um, but we arrived back at school. She woke up, and I just played it off, and we went our separate ways, and nothing, you know, nothing, we didn't have any discussions or anything. I think a bump, you know, woke her up. And anyway, we went our separate ways, and school started. And in one of my classes, there's that same cute girl. And before long... Everywhere I went around the campus, there's that girl, there's that girl. And after a, after a bit, uh, you know, I, I offered to tutor her and in a class. And so we went out on a tutoring session, which we didn't do any studying. We just talked. And so um, before long, I attempted to, it was her birthday, and I attempted to make her a cheesecake. I found out that was her favorite uh, dessert. So I made her a cheesecake and... I had heard that her girlfriends were having a little party for her in the girls' dorms, so I went to the girls' dorms to kind of declare my intentions. And, and I, I bring this cheesecake, and she's sitting in there with all her girlfriends, and I walk in, I'm the only guy, and I bring this cheesecake, and I set it down and say, Happy birthday. And her girlfriend, one of her closest friends, looks at me, and she's just like, Hmm. And she, she, had, she was trying to figure out what exactly was going on. Well, one thing led to another, and uh, we began to date hung out quite a bit, and, uh, and then another thing led to another, and we were married, and I remember the day when my wife, Erica, came down the, the aisle, and we were to be married. I don't, I don't ever really cry in that. <laughs> this is exactly what happened the day that we got married, and, uh, and I thought, wow. And I started biting my lip because I didn't want to. If you watched the wedding video, you'd see that I was, I looked like I was freaking out. It's because I'm biting my lip trying not to cry because I was so excited. I'm thinking, wow. And, and we, we began our married life in Riverside. We moved um, different areas. We moved to Diamond Bar as I was pursuing seminary training and training in ministry. And, um, and we're still married. It's been 10 years. We celebrated 10 years. 
just this past June, and she has borne our two children. She's carrying our little girl, in, and uh, she shares in, in, in my life's work. It's strange. <laughs> Next week, football is in foxholes. <laughs> but to this day, I, I still am very much in love with my wife, Erica. And uh, she's sitting here in the middle. And, but I tell you this story not to, uh, not to cry in front of you, but, but to really ask the question, where did this wow, where did this wow come from? Are we just a species that has evolved over time and then has somehow discovered ways to reproduce and we're just primates and we just populate the earth? Or is there more to it than that? Actually, this, this whole wow, it goes back, you know, past 10 years, 20 years, hundreds of years. It actually goes back you know, to the beginning of, of creation. And so I'd like to encourage you to join me on a journey as we, we look back in time to the very beginning of time and see how this whole wow experience, this wow factor began. So let me tell you a story and kind of paraphrase the story, and then we'll look at what the Scripture says. Um, but it, it had been a, a several long days in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And this particular morning, it started like, out like the rest. You know, the sky was starting to, to uh, grow more and more red as the sun was, was coming up. And after having some breakfast, Adam, he climbed up onto this large rock, where he had occupied for the past few days. And as he reached the top, he looked around and he saw pairs of animals waiting in line. And so he sits there on top of this animal and he examines the first pair. He looks at its kind and he gives it a name according to how it looks and according to its kind. Then the animals move on. Another pair of animals comes up and Adam continues to name these different animals. This is what he's been doing for the past few days. This was his assignment God had given him. He studies each pair he picks a good name for it, and then he moves to the next pair. So later in the afternoon, he, he finally he's finished with naming all the animals. He climbs down from the rock, and he sits down in some, in some grass in the shade of a large leafy tree. And even though the Garden of Eden was just this beautiful, wonderful place, he found himself tired. And uh, so he drinks some water. He leans back against the tree. I am paraphrasing here. And uh, he leans back against the trunk of the tree, and he was, he was glad that he was finished with uh, naming all these animals. You know, if you're the first person into a place, you get the privilege of naming things. Explorers, you know, they go to places, they get to name the location. Adam, he was the first man. He got to name everything. God gave him this assignment. And um, all the animals were named. It's interesting, you know, Garden of Eden is this wonderful place, but still, something was missing in this experience. And Adam couldn't quite name the feeling that was going on inside of him. He realized something. Out of all the animals that had come before him, he was the only one like himself. He, he appeared to be different. He was human. And he realized that he was alone. He was by himself. He was all alone. He didn't have a pair. Um, life was good for him, but he recognized there wasn't anybody out there that was really like him. So anyway, he's sitting there, he's thinking, he falls asleep. He becomes really drowsy, leans back, and he falls asleep. And he wakes up. To his, to his name, Adam. Adam. He wakes up and he recognizes that's the voice of God. You know, and he, he sits up, had a great nap, and he notices there's this tingling feeling on his side. He just notices this sensation on his side. And he says, yes, God, you know, what do you, what do you want? He always enjoyed when God 
did stuff with him because amazing things were happening every time. And God says to him, Adam, check this out. And he looks behind him and he sees this trunk of a tree. And out from beside the tree steps this most amazing thing that he'd ever seen. And just stood there smiling at him. And, and God said, I made, I made her from a piece of your side that I took out of you when, I, when, when you were asleep. That's why you feel a little bit tingly. And, and Adam, he jumps to his feet. And he's delighted and he's just, his mind is overwhelmed with the joy of, of wow. And the language of the Old Testament suggests that, that he's just filled with wonder, with awe, with excitement. And he says something to the effect of, the, the language suggests that he says something to the effect of, you've got it right this time. Or finally, or, this is it. But he's saying, this is it. He's, he's just ecstatic about what he has seen before him. He says, this is no dog. This is no horse. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. And he's just, he's overwhelmed with what has just happened before him. And he's like, wow, this is amazing. And, he, and then he recognizes, wow, I get to name everything. So he stands up straight and, you know, in his name-giving posture. And he, he looks at this, this thing that's still smiling at him. And he says, you know, she's been taken out of man. I name, I name it She-Man. And that's literally what the Hebrew says. It's she-man. We in English, we translate it as woman, but it literally means she-man. It's taken out of man. And, and then these verses come. You've got the, the verses in the New Living Translation. I want to read it with you real quick. It's, it's in your outline. It's not up on the screen. But it says, Then the Lord God, He said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who's just, just right for him. Those are key words. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of his ribs and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So where does this wow come from? Where does that feeling come from? Where does that experience come from? It comes from God. God designed this. He designed the delight. That's the first thing I want to focus on. God designed the delight. He designed the delight in each other physically. The attraction, the physical attraction. He designed that. It's a gift. He designed the delight in the relationship as well. When you guys feel men, when you feel this, <clears throat> what you feel when you look at an attractive woman or an appealing woman, it goes back to this experience. It goes back to this. This is a gift of God. Because she is just right. The woman that man created is just right for the man. And you know what? We can take that places it shouldn't go. We can, the attraction could lead us in places we shouldn't go. But God designed the delight. He, had, he designed the appeal and the, the attraction that's there. The same with, with women. The desire that a woman has to fit with a man in a relationship that's a gift of God. He designed that delight and that attraction. God intended sexual attraction to be part of marriage relationship. He intended this 
from the beginning. He made us to delight in the opposite sex. Not only did he design the delight, but he also designed the relationship itself, the commitment, the relationship. It's just some things that the scripture highlights as far as the relationship. We're complementary opposites. Okay, complementary opposites. We each bring different things. Okay, we have different makeups. We have different kinds of abilities. Men and women are different. We're not really going to look at all the differences in this message, but the next two you'll see some of those differences just as we look at how men relate and how women relate. But we're complementary opposites. Verse 18 of chapter 2. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's a perfect fit. The Hebrew words indicate that a helper is someone who is a complement to them. Complement to the man. Men and women were designed as compliments. It's kind of like a cardboard box. Um, the analogy goes like this. You know, you've got one side of the cardboard box and the woman and the man fit together as one. There is this sense that there is this, they are, uh, they are not exactly, uh, they, are, they are of the same kind. They fit together though. There's this intention that God had. Both are valuable to God. Both are equal in God's eyes. But each is different in a way that really fits together. It's by God's design. Also, we're uniquely committed to one another. We're to be, in marriage, uniquely committed to one another. Verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This man-woman relationship in marriage, it's to be exclusive. If you're married, it's to be exclusive. You're supposed to have something, a different kind of relationship with your spouse. You make it a priority. It bumps up to the top of the list of human relationships. It's more important than all other human relationships. It's to be more important than, um, you know, uh, parents, children. But the, the, it's, and it's hard. Sometimes we get, we get tied emotionally to certain things. But God's intention is that that be the priority relationship if you're married. <clears throat> Once the commitment is made, no one else is to intrude into it. Not even father and mother. According to this verse, the man is to leave his father and his mother. Okay? That whole word, that, that, the word leave, azav, is the Hebrew term. What it means from is to depart from or to let go. It also can mean to forsake. But it, the idea here is that there's a clean break of dependency and separation. There's a clean break. And it's a good thing. This is what God has intended when this doesn't happen, what happen, if, if, a, if there's not clean break, what happens is the commitment is delayed. And sometimes the commitment is never truly um, made. It, it can slowly diminish if, if, we're, if the dependency on, on parents is still there, if there's not separation. So it's extremely important if you're married to separate in a healthy way. Now there still needs to be, there should be a relationship of respect and honor towards parents, but... Um, there shouldn't be a relationship of obligation. So Scripture says, for this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and to cleave or to, <clears throat> or to unite with his wife. That word, what it means is to stick tightly to. They're to come together like glue, in a sense, and to not let go of each other. This is a commitment. And we're to be authentic, intimate, lifelong companions. That's what marriage is for. Authentic, intimate, lifelong companions. Notice that they were both naked, the scripture says, and yet there was no shame. 
That's what verse 25 says. You know, they, they didn't recognize that there was anything unusual about them walking around naked together. They didn't feel the need to be covered up. Why? Because shame is the awareness that something has been broken. Something is wrong. I've crossed a boundary that I shouldn't have crossed. I've broken past a rule that, that is there for a reason. And at this point, man, Adam and Eve, humans had not rebelled against God. And so there was no, <clears throat> there was no shame there. There was no boundaries placed over them that they had busted through. But sex inside of marriage is to be something that is, is pure, it's to be without shame. It is the gift of God. It's a design. It was designed by Him. But God, I, I just really want to get across, God made us to fit together in marriage. And it's to be a committed companionship. Um, Malachi 2.14, one of the last books of the Bible, highlights this idea of companionship. She says, she is your companion, your wife by covenant. A covenant is a set of promises. You covenant with your wife. You make a promise. That's a vow before God. Without this commitment, without a covenant, then a couple's relationship can never achieve the same thing as you can in marriage. Because God has designed us to unite in marriage, to have a commitment to each other. The third thing is this. God offered, he offered a great future to the couple. In this relationship, he offered this, this amazing future for them. He said, you know, bless, he blessed them. He said, fill the earth and be its master. God assigned to the humans this responsibility of, of being in charge of so much of God's creation. You know, you're to raise up a race. You're to develop a civilization and just develop societies and communities. And there's all these things that God entrusted to us and to the first man and woman. Develop this marvelous world. So if we've got this great future prepared and promised to us, why does the whole, wow, why doesn't that turn into happy ever after? Why does wow so often turn into, uh, see you later? You know, why, why is it that, that wow kind of wears down and relationships start breaking down? The reason is, is because of this. It's because rebellion. Rebellion has entered the picture. Another way to say rebellion is sin. Rebellion has entered the picture. We've rebelled. We've turned away from doing what God would want. We've decided to go our own way in life. And this is what happened from the very beginning. Originally, the first man and the first woman had a set of boundaries God gave them. They busted through the boundaries. They decided to break fellowship with God when they did that. And they decided to just go their own way, to create their own plan. And you know what's happened is we, the human race, has followed suit. Every single one of us has decided to do our own thing in life, to go our own way. And it's not that we're all opposed to God. Most people, I would say the majority or a lot of people, are okay with God. But we still want to go our own way. Some people are just totally opposed to God. They want to run totally in the other direction. But we've all chosen to live independent from God. That's what the Scripture said. And from the very beginning of time, when the first man and first woman decided to rebel, we have all followed suit. And in turn, we've natively begun to operate with three problems that follow us around in all of life. And they wreak havoc on all of our relationships. There's three things that we natively deal with that really degrade the wow of relationships. The first thing is this. We're all natively selfish. Every single one of us has a self-serving um, side. All of us. In our hearts, there's a selfish side. Folly is bound up in our hearts, the Scripture says. Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. 
That word folly means stubborn, determined selfishness. Every single one of us has this desire to get what we want. Two-year-olds know this, because two-year-olds know two words at least. They know no and mine. And you can teach them, and it takes a while, you know, and, and sometimes it takes even longer. But th- this can be trained out of us. That's what parenting is for, is to train out this selfishness. But even as adults, we struggle. We want what we want. We're easily out for our best, not for our mates. We want what we want when we want it. And that becomes a real problem in marriage. That becomes a real problem when you're trying to get along in relationships. Our selfishness, what it does is it wounds our mate and it starts a major, major power struggle. We start jockeying for who's really in control and, and how do we get what we want. We work out our plans. And that leads to resentment over time. Just deep, deep wounds that really harm. Genesis 3.16, when Eve, when Adam and Eve had sinned, God speaks to them. One of the things that He says to Eve is this. He says, now you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. He, God's talking about there's going to be a power struggle for the rest of your life now. You're going to want to be in control. So there's going to be this power struggle going on, and <clears throat> you're not going to win, He's saying. You'll, and this, this struggle won't end. We're going to just deal with our selfishness in marriage. Another thing we deal with is arrogance. Arrogance. We feel like not only do we want what we want, but we deserve to get what we want. All of us believe that. Deep down, we think, I'm a little more important than my spouse, and and I ought to get what I want. And we may not go right out and say that, but we live in a way that that we, we lift ourselves up. That's what this word arrogance means. Ecclesiastes 9.3 tells us that there's these couple of things that we deal with in our hearts. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness. That word madness translates to arrogance or crazy arrogance in their hearts while they live. We have this side where we just lift ourselves up, and in our, as we're up on our high horse, what happens is we end up belittling our mate because they won't cooperate with giving us what we want. And again, that's a problem. We, we also harm each other. There's this... We natively not only have selfishness and arrogance, but we also have harm. Harm is just, we're willing to do and say things that are spiteful towards our spouse. And, and over time, again, this, it, it creates a great deal of pain. You know, we'll push them to get what we want, or we'll get even. If they don't give us what we want, we'll get even with our spouses. Because we want what we want. So we'll blame them, we'll, we'll get annoyed with them. We'll, we'll block them from their goals. We'll manipulate. And some of us, were nicer than others. Some of us, you know, are slower to get angry. Some are real quick to anger. But the point is, we all hurt each other. And if you're married, you know the truth of this. You know how this looks in your life and your marriage and how difficult this is to deal with. And, you know, over time, hurt compiles up. And what we do is we tend to go back to more selfishness, more harm, more arrogance, and just the wounds get deeper, the resentment builds and grows and grows. We get to a point where we're bewildered and we think, how in the world did we get here? How did this happen? The wow turns into wow. You know, we're perplexed. We don't know what happened. All of a sudden, hurt piles up over years. And somewhere in the early, middle years of, of married life, intimacy can easily die. If these three things begin to really work its way into our marriages and we don't 
um, try to change them. Then, over time, intimacy. And we just grow cold towards each other. Men with beautiful wives look at their wife and they, they, they just, they're not attracted anymore. And women with handsome husbands who were, who were once great men, they look at their husbands and they can only despise them. So the wow becomes wow. And it's just it's disappointment. And so how do, you, how do you keep that slide? How do you not let the wow turn into a wow? That's what I want to look at. How do you keep the, how do you keep the wow? <clears throat> we all can grow our relationships. If you're married, you can grow your relationship. Your relationship to your spouse is like a, it's like a flower in a sense. If you want to see it grow... You need to take care of it. You need to plant your relationship wisely in the right things. It needs the right soil first. The right soil. And that soil is commitment. That's a starting point. If you're married, it's commitment. Remembering you have made a commitment to your spouse. This is what we want. Proverbs 19.22 says this. What a man, or it can be translated, what a person wants is unfailing love. This is what we want. We want commitment. Unfortunately, what we see is Bailing love. Instead of unfailing love, it's a bailing love. When it's uncomfortable, when it's not working, then we bail. We leave. But if you plant your relationship in non-commitment, which non-commitment instead of commitment is, well, we'll see how it goes. It's it's non-commitment. Just see how it goes. What you're doing is you're stirring into the soil things like fear, jealousy. And those things end up ruining your relationship. You know, uncertainty. Or just bargaining. You know, one person tends to have to bargain to keep the other person there. But if you plant your relationship in commitment, then it just has a much, much better chance of, of making it. If you decide that leaving option, I'm throwing, I'm burning that option up. That is not an option for me. If you burn that option up, that, that just makes a world of difference. Deciding to stay in it together. But like, like flowers, relationships, they, they require intelligent care over time. We need to pay attention to our relationships. There's certain things that we need to learn how to do. I've got them. I think they're listed in here. No, I didn't. Um, but first thing is learn how to understand the opposite sex. It might be up on the slide. Learn how to understand the opposite sex. This is something that's very important. Most of us think we understand the opposite sex until we marry the opposite sex. And then we begin to explore the mysteries of life. And we, we stand there and we're like, wow, this is not what I thought. You know, this is different. But you, you have to learn how different we think, how different we really are from each other. There's just some great resources. If you'd like, I can um, tell you some books that have helped me just understanding the differences. Um, you can talk to me. I've got some books if you'd like to hear them. Another thing is we need to learn how to care for and protect our relationships. Just like a flower, you've got to care for it. You've got to protect it from things that will eat away at it. Parasites, you want to make, make sure flowers are protected. Marriages, it's very easy for people to intrude upon your marriage and to, to, to harm it. Important to build hedges. We talked about this not too long ago. Building hedges around your relationship so that no one and nothing can, <clears throat> no enemies can come over the walls and, and, and do damage in your relationship. Another thing is we need to learn how to detect and stop our bad attitudes and our manipulative strategies before they go into play. We need to recognize something is rising up inside of me that I need to stop right now before it does the damage. 
detection is really important. Like a meal that's rotten. You know, if you detect, that smells bad. It's better to pay attention. I've made the mistake of just smelling it bad and thinking, that smells like a wet dog. And I ate it anyway. And I, I got sick horribly and never wanted to go to that restaurant again. But sometimes we don't, we detect there's a problem. Something is bad. Something is wrong. But we, we proceed in the behavior and then we pay for it. So detect the wrong things before you act out on them. Another thing is just learning how to work together through problems. Rather than just attacking each other and taking sides like in a boxing match where you just go back to your corners and you just stand there and you, you beat each other up and you, you know, learning how to work together, deciding you're on the same team, getting in the corner together and boxing the problems together and deciding oh, we're, we're in this together. We're on the same team. Let's get on the same page. Let's get the help we need to make progress together. One of our biggest challenges is this. It's our heart. The, the greatest challenge that we face in, in marriage is our hearts. Because there's all sorts of... There's some, some things inside of our hearts that are not good. Look at what Jesus said. Matthew 15, he says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Those are all in our hearts. The biggest challenge is they're right down inside of us. So to cooperate, you've got to learn to overcome your selfishness. We've got to see the bad attitudes coming, and we have to recognize that those things are counterproductive for my relationship. We have to refuse arrogance, not justifying our own arrogance when we feel like we're not getting what we want. We've got to learn to work through things together. The great thing about it is that God Himself, He will give us a new heart with new possibilities. He offers us a brand new heart. He wants to come in and He wants to change us from the inside and begin to mix good things into our life that will help us relate in our relationship, relate with our spouses. Uh, for me and my wife, for the past ten years, as we've just encountered the challenges and these heart problems that we face, what we've done is we've recognized that the greatest power to survive, the greatest power to grow and deepen our relationship comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come when we try to pretend like we can fix the things on our own, but the power comes through God. He's our power source. He's the reason that we can have a real, authentic relationship with each other. Look at what the promise is made to God's people in Ezekiel 36. God makes this promise in the Old Testament. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put my spirit in you, and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When you yield control of your life to Jesus Christ, when you yield control of your life to Him, He'll move inside, and He'll offer additional power that you can't, muster up on your own strength. And that's what we need for our relationships. We need, God, we need God's power. He'll feed you insight about, you know, I'm about to do something wrong here. God, through His Spirit, He'll quicken your mind to the fact that that's going to that's gonna do damage. At the same time, when you've done wrong, He'll convict you from the inside that you've done wrong and you need to go clear that up with your spouse. He'll show you things from the inside that you just can't do. He'll prompt you to move past your selfishness He'll prompt you to get past your arrogance. You know, He'll actually change our hearts over time. God offers us the solution in a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants to come in to live inside. Look at Galatians 5. Some of the things that God will bring through living in your life. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
These are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that the, the Holy Spirit wants to produce inside of us. Which of these would you not like to have in your marriage, in your spouse, in your own life? I mean, I want them all. I don't know about you, but I want them all. I want goodness. I want the good that comes from these things bearing up in my relationship. So if you have found that, wow, in, in your marriage, the most important thing you can do is connect with the power source, the one who has given you that gift. Because he'll produce the power from the inside to help you deepen that relationship over years to where you can have a marriage that will last for many, many years. Lord willing, you know, you might be at a point where you've not connected with God. You've never responded to Jesus Christ. You've never made him the boss of your life. Um, at the bottom, you'll see there's four things. How to establish a spiritual base for your life. If you've never decided to do that, I'd encourage you to read through those things. There's a box on your um, welcome card that says, I'd like to learn more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You might be at a point where you are trying to make marriage work and you keep, you keep hitting a point where you feel like you cannot bust through. You keep hitting the same point. You try, you try, you try, and you hit a point. If you've not yielded your life to Jesus Christ, it's because additional power is needed in our marriages. And, and you can't get that on your own. So if you'll connect with Jesus Christ, you know, he'll give you the strength that you need. Um, I encourage you to mark this. And if you'd like to talk with someone, let us know on here and we'll get in touch with you and help you connect and learn how to connect with God. But there's four things on here that the Bible says it means to connect with Jesus Christ. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and our band's going to come up and we're going to continue in worship. Really encourage you, if this is your first time coming, I encourage you to come back and check out just the other messages we're looking at in this series. I think we're going to have a good time together. So let's pray.